0: This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I wanted—I have a couple things here. I want to dialogue real quickly. If you're new with us, we would love to welcome you. Uh, if you're uh, electronically savvy, uh, you can go on to our the church app, and you can go into our. Uh, the, the, the events page there and you're going to be able to click on connect and it'll take you to a, a connection form as well as there's a card back of your chair in, your, in the back of the chairs in front of you as well I believe that you can fill out um, as well as there's a QR code that if you want to scan that with your camera on your phone that'll take you right there directly as well. We want to be better at connecting with you and how many know that we can't connect with you if you don't share your information. So we want to be able to do so. If you have not done that we would really really appreciate that. Uh, so thank you so much. We're we uh Thankful for the, your participation in the HVAC campaign for South Campus. Uh, we do have brand new HVAC over there installed this week. And we can say, yeah, hooray, right? Thank you, Pastor Sasser, for heading that up. He did an amazing job with coordinating all that with the company that he works for. And we couldn't have done it without him. But I want to also invite you. It's not too late to give. Everyone say Give. You know, it's the thing that we do at church is we not just give of our lives and of our times. But we also give of our finances. It's one of those things that God's word talks about, isn't it? You know, that there's a place that there's, an, there's a category of tithe that we're to give that is God's. How many know that all that we have is his anyway? And he, he blesses us with 90% of it, but he asks for 10% back. So I just want to challenge you. If you're not tithing, would you consider doing so? Would you walk in obedience to him? Because we know that God can can supply for you. I think of this whole process. This is kind of a short little snippet here that I wasn't planning on. But I think of this whole process. We're talking about economic crisis in our culture today. Can I tell you that there is no crisis in God's economy? Absolutely no crisis in God's economy. And I can tell you that we can either respond to our economic crisis in in the world according to our flesh or we can according to God's word. And I can tell you today that I, can, I know that there are those that would be very tempted to step back and go, I don't want to tithe. I don't have enough money to tithe. And God's going, hey, I'm, I'm opposite of all that. I want you to give, and then I can provide. I want you to give, and then I can protect. I want you to give, and I can rebuke the devourer off your life. Good, good preaching, Pastor Kevin. Um, anyway, so if you haven't given to the HVAC campaign, we desperately would love for you to do so. We're not even halfway there yet, but it's installed, and you're going to benefit from it. We talked about turning the heat up to 98 degrees and just letting you feel the heat, you know? Uh, welcome to the hell at R- RLC. No, just kidding. Uh, anyway, uh, we might do that if the money doesn't come in, just saying. Everyone will just come to this, this campus. We'll, we'll turn them up both places so you both feel the pain. <laughs> Debbie's down here cheering, I want 98 degrees. How many would like some 98 degrees right now in Oregon? Maybe that's a little extreme, but okay. I would like some sunshine at least. Today, I'm excited. Uh, I, one, one, I don't have to preach on Father's Day, uh, and that's always a blessing to me. Uh, but Pastor Rhonda, my amazing wife, was going to come, probably one of the strongest women that I have ever met, uh, one of the most powerful. She is resilient, uh, and if you've watched her journey this last couple years, uh, she is a resilient, uh, passionate, faith-filled woman And she has a message today that God has laid upon her heart that I'm excited to hear. Um, I'm probably going to be crawling underneath the chair. Not that she's talking to husbands or fathers, but she's talking to Christians today. And so uh, would you give her a round of applause as she comes?
1: So I just want to take a moment to say Happy Father's Day. And my sermon today isn't specific to fathers or men. It's actually a good word for all of us on how to live a life That pleases God. And before I do that today, I just want to say, men of every age, whether you're a father or whether you're not, you make a difference. I am 59 years old, and I actually came to what was Calvary Temple prior to it becoming Relevant Life Church when I was a sophomore in high school. So I can look out. At both of our campuses and in every service, I see men who have impacted my life. And even this last year, through a really, really hard journey of cancer, there were young men who impacted my life with their words, with their prayers, with their lives. And you may buy into the devil's lies that you're not making a difference, but you are and you get to decide what kind of difference. Will you impact people, your children, your children's friends, other people in this community, in your community, for the kingdom of God, for something that's eternal? Or are you putting all of your focus on things that burn up and don't matter? I want to just challenge you today. Men, you are making a difference. And then I also want to take a moment, if you've not met my dad, he's here today, uh, Gary Fournier. And I just want to say happy Father's Day to him. My dad is not a perfect dad. I don't know of a perfect man except for Jesus Christ. But my dad is a man of faith. My dad is a very loyal and faithful man. He always provided, he always took care of us, and he lived and loved Jesus my entire life. So men, you make a difference. That's my challenge to you today. Whatever age you are, would you be Jesus to the people around you? And then, because I don't want my message to be totally serious, and it's a pretty serious message today, before I get started, I have a few dad jokes for you. (laughs) So my son-in-law, Alex, our son-in-law, Alex, he loves to tell dad jokes. And dad jokes are funny because they just are. But what's really funny when Alex tells them is he almost always goes, get it? Get it? Did you get it? And he repeats the punchline, and then he laughs really funny. So even if the dad joke is really ridiculous, he's funny. And so they're good. So here we go. Are you ready for this? Why did the man name his doggies Rolex and Timex? Because they're watchdogs. What does a nosy pepper do? It gets jalapeno business. Why do fathers who golf take an extra pair of socks? That was the Sanders ladies over there. You can tell they get dad jokes, all right? What do you call a dad when he falls through the ice? A popsicle. What do you call a dinosaur with an extensive vocabulary? A thesaurus. And the last one for the day that we just can't do without is what do you call cheese that isn't yours? Nacho cheese. Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray above all else today that your word, as it goes forth, would penetrate soil that's ready to receive. There were people that prayed with me this week over heart soil. And God, I believe that every person under the sound of your word, both in the building and online, are meant to receive from you today. And God, we just open up and we listen with ears to hear what you're saying to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Our text today is from the book of Micah, and I want to start by providing you with some biblical context. It was written by the prophet Micah. It's the six of twelve minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible. The audience for that day were both the people of Israel and the people of Judah. And if you read the book of Micah and seek to understand the prophet Micah, it becomes very obvious that he was very suspicious of phony religion. How many of you struggle? You can raise your hand because I'm going to put both hands up. How many of you struggle when you see hypocrisy in someone else's life? Me too. And Micah was just like us. It was easy for him to look around and see the greed as he looked at the leaders of the kingdoms of Judah. And he issued a warning to the common people not to be deceived by religious pretense. He was a champion for those who were afflicted and oppressed. He condemned sin. It was during a time when there was great wealth and prosperity in Judea, in Judah. And on the outside, it seemed like God's people were thriving, but on the inside, they were rotting and sinful. Political corruption was pervasive. Ethics were violated. People were exploited economically. The nation had drifted so far from God that they no longer distinguished good from evil. They were an overconfident, self-indulgent people. Does it sound like the culture we live in today? Micah warned that unless the people repented from their sin, God's judgment would be harsh. But he also offered hope continue outlining God's promises to be merciful and to restore the people to the land. The prophet Micah was one of the prophets whose messages were actually paving the way for Jesus. In fact, if you want a little Bible prophecy trivia, 700 years before Jesus was even born, in chapter 5, verse 2 of the book of Micah, it was the prophet Micah who prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. It all comes to a climax of Micah's prophecy in chapter six, verses six through eight, when he reminds the people that God is not interested in their hollow sacrifices or their empty acts of worship. How many of you have ever come to church and really your mind is on someplace else you're headed and you're going through the motions? So we can be like that. We can offer God just empty acts of worship. And verse eight tells us, what they can do to please God. So if you wanna turn in your Bible today or open your phone app or follow on the screen, I'm gonna read uh, with you uh, Micah 6 verses six through eight. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10 thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? The Old Testament is filled with laws and rituals that were required of people who were following God. And Micah 6 8 sums up. These laws and what they stood for. The notes in my Greek Hebrew study Bible said it this way Nowhere in the rest of the Old Testament is the type of religious devotion that God wants described in a more succinct and elevated way. Love of God and man are in, (coughs) sorry, love of God and man are inextricably connected in what can be described as the high water mark of religious thoughts of the Old Testament. The message of the Old Testament prophets concerning the desired conduct of Israel, which was preached over several centuries, can be boiled down to this one single verse. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Inextricably actually means to form a maze or a tangle from which it's impossible to get free. And the high water mark, if you know what that is, that's the maximum recorded level or value of something. So in other words, what my Bible notes were saying to me is it sums up this verse by saying, the love of God and man is a knot so tight that you can't untangle it. And when you walk in that tight relationship with God, your life will show what he values most in how you treat others. And I really think it boils down to that. And today I want to call out these three things, as Micah did, requirements that please God. These requirements will connect our faith with our actions. They align our walk with God to how we care for other people. They're tied in a knot that can't be separated. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. The first requirement, to do justice. To do justice requires an action. In the original language, the Hebrew language, this word do means to accomplish, to perform an activity with a distinct purpose. You can't just acknowledge that things are wrong around you. It's more than observation or lip service. It isn't just knowing the difference between right and wrong. To please God, it means your day-to-day living will always move towards what is just. Every place you find yourself interacting with others as part of their lives at work, and at school, recreational activities, church, etc. You do what is right. This word justice in the original Hebrew language means a judgment, a legal decision, a verdict, doing what is right and fair. At its core, doing justice is being fair. When we think of being fair, we often think of rules and we tend to believe that fair is people who follow the rules, and people who don't follow the rules, it's unfair, right? But realistically, I think it's important to recognize that often people will create rules that are fair for some and unfair for others. Even now, with so much of our world demanding equality and the fairness for all people, there's still the human tendency to slant rules that give an advantage to some, and therefore creating a disadvantage to others. It's the reality of human nature. God's moral law of love is totally different than that. It would make the perfect thesis on fairness and justice. God's laws are always better than the rules created by humans who notoriously aim to benefit the few rather than the whole. So I want to consider a little bit today how Fairness is connected to God's laws. For instance, in any situation in which the Bible directs you to do the right thing, I want us to think how you would replace that with the word fair. And I'm going to give you a few examples so you can think about this as you ponder this week's sermon. Is it fair to be jealous of someone else's life on social media? We would all in this room say, well, it's not right to be jealous, but is it fair? Platforms like Facebook provide just the highlight reel of people's lives. It can make anyone's life look fantastically exciting. So is it fair to feel down about your own life because of an incomplete picture you see of someone else's life? Is it fair to the other person to think negative thoughts about them because they share a portion of their life with you? God's law of love says, do not covet. Coveting is not fair to anyone. Is it fair to work less than an eight-hour shift when you're being paid for eight hours? When you are paid by the hour, the expectation is that you work a full hour. Labor laws allow for rest breaks and lunch break, but it can be easy on many jobs to give a half-hearted effort or waste time doing other things besides your job. Is it fair to your coworkers who are working a full shift when you don't? Is it fair to your employer who hired you for a full 8 hours? it? Is it fair to yourself to allow a wrong behavior to ruin your reputation and potentially hinder your family by losing your job? God's law of love says, don't steal, and that's stealing from your employer. God's law is fair to you and your employer. Another example, is it fair to look at pornography or have an extramarital affair? We would all say it's wrong, it's not right, but is it fair? Maybe you've never considered this in light of what's fair. So I ask, is it fair to use another person for your sexual gratification? Is it fair to yourself to destroy your relationship, bring guilt and shame into your life by getting involved in damaging activity? No, it's not fair. God's law of love says do not engage in sexual practices outside of marriage. His law is fair to both you and your spouse or your future spouse. Doing justice, this requirement that Micah 6, 8 tells us pleases God, means that we follow rules of fairness that are given to us by a wise and impartial God. I love that. So what are some practical ways that we can do justice? First of all, I think you fight unfairness in your own environment, your culture, where you live. Human beings are not naturally just. Promoting justice and fairness means we must be intentional in how we treat the people in our lives. In the areas where we have any control or influence, we should be intentional to change situations where justice and fairness is being compromised. There are many ways we can get involved in the fight for fairness in social justice issues healthcare issues, racial injustice, voting rights, gun violence, rights for the unborn, the list of unfairness in society is really endless. You can get involved by voting, by educating yourself, examining your own beliefs and your habits. Do they align? Discover local organizations and take positive actions in your community. Volunteer, donate, Be a foster parent. Get involved with a program for seniors or those who are disabled. There's a lot of ways that you can do justice in your community, kind of on a big scale. And even in the most basic way, you can do justice by treating people the way you want to be treated. How? Take turns. Tell the truth. Play by the rules. Think about how your actions and your words will affect others. When you're in line at the store, when you're ordering at a restaurant, when you leave your cart in the middle of the parking lot, when you take the last of something and you don't let someone know you did and they're out. There are so many ways that our actions and words can impact others in an unfair way. How about listening to people and having an open mind? Don't blame others for your mistakes. Don't take advantage of people and don't play favorites. Those are simple ways to do justice in your world. And I challenge you this week, let God speak to you where maybe you need to practice better. Do justice. Another practical way you can do justice is to continually compare your thoughts and your actions to God's rules of fairness. I think sometimes we get are so busy looking at man's rules of fairness, we forget God has a sure word for us. First Samuel sixteen seven reminds us that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we should search our own hearts and ask ourselves, what is motivating my decisions and my thoughts about other people? Asking this can help you see where you need more justice in your thoughts and your actions. For example, ask yourself things like, is it really just to base my entire opinion on a mistake I saw someone make or on their personality or their quirky behavior? Or why do I think my way is the only way or always the right way? Philippians 2.3 tells us do nothing. Ooh, not even, there's no option there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourself that's a strong word and just working on that means you don't have time to worry about other people you have a lot going on in your own life isaiah 38:18 tells us the lord is the god of justice isaiah 1:17 says learn to do good seek justice correct oppression Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's case. All throughout scripture, we can see where God practices perfect justice. He doesn't lie. He's never partial to one person over another. He's actually perfect love. And you know what? His purpose is to make us like him, which means we have a a responsibility to determine to practice justice like he, he does. The second requirement. For a life that pleases god is to love kindness or mercy in the original hebrew language this word kindness indicates loving kindness goodness faithfulness love acts of kindness and mercy it's actually the same word that the bible uses to refer to god's loving kindness towards us as sinners showing mercy is when we withhold a deserved punishment God, in his mercy and his kindness, withheld what we deserved. And many times he does that even now. He withholds the punishment for our wicked and our fleshly behavior. That's mercy. Mercy is what caused God to send his only son to die a horrible death for our sins. In this context, kindness and mercy are interchangeable. Psalms 136 says oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy and kindness lasts for just a second and you better be in line or you won't get any no it says his mercy and his kindness endures forever how many of you can say that about you I I know that's one I struggle with Luke 6, 36 says, be merciful just as your father is also merciful. To love kindness and mercy is also an action. It's much more than being kind. It's even more than doing the kind thing for someone else. It's a demonstration of Godlike character to others. God's kindness endures forever. It was sacrificial. It's the kind of mercy that saw what we could be, not what we are. It was selfless. It was not about himself. That's the kind of mercy and kindness we're c- commanded to do. The action that pleases God, love, kindness, and mercy requires we are motivated to act zealously with great energy and enthusiasm in a way that shows other people that our heart is for them in a personal and on a human level. I think it takes us going to a much deeper place. How many times have you actually looked in somebody's eyes and recognized they needed to see kindness and mercy in action? That's the kind of thing God's requiring of us. So what are some practical ways you can do this? I would say let God do the avenging while you practice mercy and kindness. When we love mercy, like Micah's talking about in verse 8, we are in essence trusting that what has been done to us or to others unfairly or unjustly will be corrected. We can trust God with that. Hebrews 10.30 tells us that vengeance is God's job. It's not mine. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I don't think that means that we sit idly by and do nothing while unjust things happen. But I think it does mean that kindness and mercy should be our go-to response and not vengeance. So much of the time, we're looking instantly of how to get even. And I think God wants us to go to kindness and mercy. We are to love our enemies, not get even with them. And that's a hard thing to do. Matthew 5, 43 says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Can I just tell you, if you sincerely stop to pray for the icky people in your life, it's hard not to love them. Because when you're talking to God about them, he starts to work on your heart. And if you've not done that with somebody that is really horrible in your life, I challenge you to do that. Make them their greatest prayer need and you will begin to change. Loving kindness means trusting in God's perfect justice and mercy since he knows every situation and every person way better than we do. We mercifully trust him to deal with people in the best way possible. Another practical way you can love kindness is to continue to show mercy even when none is shown to you. You think about Jesus when he was crucified. He stopped his followers from violently protecting him, and he asked God to forgive those who crucified him. He gave us the very best example. It's helpful to look at every human being we come into contact with as someone who needs kindness just as much as we do. Some scriptures this week that really touched my heart were Ephesians 4.32 that tells us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. When I think about forgiving someone else in the context of the way God forgave me, it's a lot easier to go, whew, I'm pawn scum. That person might be pawn scum. I deserved forgiveness. I was given forgiveness, and they should be too. 1 Peter 3, 8, and 9 in the Amplified Bible. I like all these extra words. Give us this direction. Finally, all of you be like-minded, unified, united in spirit, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, courteous, and compassionate towards each other as members of one household, and humble in spirit, and never return evil for evil or insult for insult. Avoid scolding, berating, and any kind of abuse, but on the contrary, give a blessing. Pray for one another's well-being, contentment, and protection. For you have been called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing from God that brings well-being, happiness, and protection. And then a verse that really convicted me this week, and then God let it play out with my granddaughter. A verse uh, in Luke 6:35 says, but love your enemies and do good. And lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. For most of us, it's easy to be kind to someone who appreciates it and thanks us and notices it. It can be easy to be merciful to people we think deserve it. But God is kind, it says, to those who don't deserve it and don't appreciate it. He's even kind and merciful to those who are evil. And to me, evil people are mean and cruel. And even God is kind to those people. This week, whenever Cam comes over, she'll be five at the end of this month. And whenever our granddaughter Cammy comes over, she always wants to watch on the big movie room upstairs, she always wants to watch the Cinderella live story. And we always have to have popcorn and Peepaw was going downstairs to get water or something, I think, or, and he wasn't in the room. And the stepmother, how many of you always want something bad to happen to the icky stepmother in Cinderella? She's mean. She's mean, mean, mean. And those ugly stepsisters, you just want something bad to happen to them. And it's playing out. And all of a sudden, cam and I'd already felt convicted over this scripture about being kind and merciful to people who are evil. And Cam goes, she is evil. And I was thinking, wow, a five-year-old can see the evilness in that. And then as the rest of the show plays out, I kept thinking, it's, we kind of do that in real life. Not just watching something on TV. We see people that are cruel and evil and mean. And we want them to get their, what they deserve. And I love that the scripture, I said, Lord, make my heart like you. And you see at the end of the show where the stepmother's walking down the stairs and Cinderella turns and looks up at her and she says, I forgive you. She didn't have to do that. And I'm thinking, what a life lesson that we need in our lives to be more like Jesus. Cinderella had a lot of Jesus and she didn't even know it. The last requirement for a life that pleases God in Micah 6.8 is to walk humbly with your God. Humility, a modest view of one's own importance, unassuming or moderate in the estimation of one's abilities. Is there a Kleenex around here, people? Um, walking humbly with God is foundational for doing justice and loving mercy. It's because of what God did for us that we can invest ourselves in healing the world around us through kindness and justice. Ooh, that phrase gets to me. It's because of what God did for me that I can invest in someone else it be part of God's hands to heal the world around me. When you look at it from that perspective and you stop and think there's no hope for our world. It's so broken and dark and so full of sin. And you stop and think you have what people need to be whole. We need to do a better job. We need humility to practice justice because our human standard doesn't always align with God's perfect law and goodness. I don't know a single proud person who, when they've been wronged, will show mercy or kindness. So we got to walk in humility. Walking humbly is a description of the heart's attitude towards God the intimate walk with God causes us to realize we're dependent on him rather than our own abilities. If you're like me, I always try to solve it in myself first, and as I've gotten older I start to realize I have nothing I can solve this with. I so desperately need Jesus. Any any time that you start thinking you can change someone else's life in your own abilities alone, I guarantee You're not walking humbly with your God. It's probably the most difficult of the three requirements when it comes to pleasing God. It puts God in direct competition with the fiercest competitor in your life. You. You think about that. I know it is that case with me. James 4 says, 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes and he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, 5 says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 makes it clear that God sees pride as an abomination. And so I went and looked that word up. An abomination is a thing that causes disgust or hatred. In the Bible, an abomination often um, referenced idols or things that were evil. And that's harsh when you think of that in a personal way. My pride, those moments when I think too much of myself cause God to be disgusted by me or hate what I'm doing. I don't think any of you would raise your hand today If I were to say, who in here wants God to detest you or see you as an abomination? But I don't know that we're always good at self-assessing when pride shows up in our lives, in what we say or how we treat others. It can even be hard to know how to get rid of it when you see it. How many of you ever recognized pride in your own life and you know it's important to have a good self-esteem and to be be happy about your abilities and see yourself in a good way? So how many of you have ever struggled to go, how do I make sure that this isn't pride and something that God detests? So I want to give you some practical things that will help you walk humbly with your God. Be open and honest about your weaknesses. Assess them regularly. Pride can creep back in before you know it. That doesn't mean you have to share every weakness of your lives with others, but it does mean you should avoid the temptation to make yourself appear better than others. How many of you have ever found yourself in the middle of a conversation go, wow, pat yourself on the back, you're sure I'm an amazing person, and you suddenly realize, I have just made myself sound like I'm so wonderful. And did I do that at the expense of somebody else? probably. Some questions to ask honestly and answer are, are you unthankful and always looking for more than you've been given? Are you arrogant in your words and actions? Do you treat others less than or with disdain and contempt or condensation? (laughs) Yeah, you rain on their parade. (laughs) That that was a slip, right? Um, Condescension. There we go. Are you selfish? Are your needs above that other person? Are you defensive? Can you admit your faults? Do you struggle to forgive others or want to see them punished? Do you overreact emotionally, act out in anger or yell or even just give someone the silent treatment? Do you express prejudice or become judgmental of others? Are you jealous of others' success? Are you always comparing? Are you a bully? Do you have an attitude of superiority about your money, your success, your social status, your intelligence, your beauty, your strength? If you found yourself putting someone else's name behind any of these questions, you probably have pride issues. (laughs) Just saying. Because it's really easy to do that when you think about it. The second thing I think you can do is be quick to admit when you're wrong. Fight that stiff-necked stubbornness. Since we are imperfect human beings and do make mistakes, we should get really comfortable saying these simple words, I was wrong. You guys can practice with me. How many of you can do it? I was wrong. You're a human being, and I promise you, you're going to be wrong probably before you leave this building today. So get comfortable saying, I was wrong. Taking a stiff-necked and stubborn approach to our own wrong actions and thinking will actually hurt us because it often causes us to lose credibility with other people. Having the ability to admit wrong and say, I'm sorry, especially to God, through regular repentance of our sins, is essential to walking humbly with him. And then I think it's important that we pray for a humble heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the ways in which pride gets in the way of walking intimately with God and in relationship with others. I typed out a prayer that I think is a prayer you can pray when you want God to give you a humble heart. You say, God, I pray for a heart position of humility. Help me to be humble in such a way that I don't cheapen my own worth or value, but help me live like I have a greater purpose than just my own. Quicken my spirit to what it really means to live a humble life so my own worth will be reflective of your view of me. Lord, mold and shelter my heart in true meekness. I willingly accept and submit my will and my desires to you. That's a humble heart. And that's hard to pray sometimes. And lastly, a way I think you can walk humbly and do it practically is serve others. The quickest way to humility is to follow Jesus' example to serve others. Mark ten forty-five says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When you're serving others and not motivated by the need to be thanked or recognized, your actions reflect Jesus like nothing else. Walking humbly with your God boils down to one thing. It means you will not seek honor for your own name, but for God's name. And that sounds really good and godly, but I think it's much harder to do than it sounds. We want to be recognized. We want to be praised. And I think you can do this where you walk humbly with God when you recognize that all those amazing gifts and abilities that you have were given to you by him. Not for your own self-recognition and for you to be anything important, but for you to give yourself away to this broken world that needs Jesus with skin on The message of Micah is still relevant today. Religious rituals, no matter how extravagant or practiced, will never compensate for a lack of love. 1 Corinthians 13.3 makes that very, very plain. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it does me no good at all. Working hard, public performances, or external displays of your gifts and talents, even complying on the outside to a set of rules is not as valuable in God's eyes as someone with a humble heart that simply does what is right. It's fascinating to me that Jesus gave us a very concise requirement in the greatest commandment found in Matthew 22, verses 34 34- through. 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Those religious know-it-alls. How many of you have ever been a religious know-it-all? One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor only when they deserve it. No, love your neighbor as yourself. And think about how we love ourselves. Man, can we baby ourselves. All the law and the prophets hung on these two commandments. That's basically everything that Micah 6, 8 summed up. Do justice, love kindness and mercy and walk humbly with your God was what My Hebrew study Bible says summed up all of the prophets. And Jesus said, this all was wrapped up in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you do that today? I wanna give you some questions to ask yourself. Very specifically this week, where does injustice show up in your own life? Who are the lowly people in your life that need you to fight for fairness for them? Who in your life have you been quick to judge or treat unkindly? Do you think more of yourself than you do of others? What motivates your treatment? Of others, are you motivated to be recognized? Are you moti- motivated to be thanked? Or are you just do what's right and fair and just and kind? Does your walk with God demonstrate a humility, or is it all about you and your gifts? Like Israel or Judah, have you been living a hypocritical life? Do you need a call toward repentance? I'd like you to bow your heads with me today. Father God, talk to our hearts today. Lord, I know that we live in such a broken world. And God, we can't expect to have a single impact for you if we can't figure out how to do these principles that are part of what helps us to live a life that pleases you. It will be the type of life that walks through our homes and our communities and our work and our school and our neighborhood and our church where we begin to see people changed. God, because we are doing what is right and fair. We are doing justice. And we are looking for opportunities to do justice. But God, like you, we can't just be all justice. We also need to love mercy and kindness. God, would you stir our hearts and convict us where we've had so much judgment, we've failed to show kindness or mercy. And God, if we've become bigger in our own lives than we need to be, would you help us today to desire an intimate walk with you that's full of humility and recognizes without you we are absolutely nothing. And all we have to give is what you've given to us. Jesus, help us to do a better job today. Would you do that? Would you challenge us and change us and convict us and call us to a higher place in jesus name in jesus name our prayer team is coming this morning and if you have something that you want the lord to do in your life i challenge you to come i love the prayer team i think this is the greatest team I know a lot of you serve in other areas and I'm really glad you're doing it. Please don't all leave those areas and get on the prayer team. But can I just tell you, these people are changing heaven. And don't leave here today if you have a need. Would you come today and let them see you get a breakthrough? Would you do that today? And then go home and call your dad, spoil your dad, whatever it is you need to do. Because you know what? No dad is perfect. And he probably needs to hear today that you love Him and you appreciate Him. Would you do that? You're dismissed, have a good week, and go do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord this week, would you?
0: Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this, Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.